Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Anger, a frequent companion to many of us. The quick default when things are not going our way. Yeah, there can be a lot to be angry about. Try driving in rush hour and being rudely cut off or biting your tongue when you have to listen to that opinionated coworker ramble on and on, or having a disagreement with your spouse again. So how should we react when someone has made us angry? In James, it says we need to be slow to anger and quick to listen, and that anger will not produce the righteousness which God desires in us. Righteousness. I guess when we're angry, we're not being very righteous. And since God is righteous, we're not being much like Him either. That's the point, isn't it? He is the standard which we ought to strive for. So don't be controlled by anger. Instead, listen. And when you do speak, say only that which is good, loving, and truthful. And do not speak out of anger. Well, I want to welcome all of you here at uh, Central Campus, also those of you who are joining us online and those of you who are meeting together at uh, one of our other regional campuses up there in Airdrie, um, in South Calgary, in the Bridgeland area, and also in the Crowfoot area in Northwest Calgary. Uh, We are studying the book of James together, and so once again, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the first chapter of this marvelous letter. Now, um, so far in this chapter, we've received instructions from James on two things. One is how to respond to trials that come our way, and the second is how to respond to temptation that also come to our our way. Now, in the remaining verses of this first chapter, uh, James teaches us how to respond to truth, the truth of God's Word. You know, when I think of facing truth and reality, I'm reminded of 89-year-old Chester, who was stopped by the police uh, around 2 o'clock in the morning and was asked where he was going, you know, that time of night. And Chester replied, well, actually, I'm on my way to um, a lecture about alcohol abuse, uh, smoking, and staying out too late, and the effects that these things have on your body. And uh, the officer replied and said, really? He said, who's giving a lecture on that this time of night? And Chester replied, well, that would be my wife. (laughs) That would be my wife. Yes, indeed. Well, James is kind of giving us a lecture here on how to respond to three things, trials, temptations, and truth, God's truth. So would you stand and join me in reading our scripture lesson for today? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for James. Lord, for just inspiring him and anointing him, Lord, to write these words. We ask that you would now uh, just uh, expand our understanding, Lord, of the, the words that we just read together. Help them, Lord. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. We just commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want you to think about a time when you were really angry with someone. Maybe you were angry at your spouse who was unfaithful to you. Or maybe it's a friend you trusted who betrayed your confidence and said things about you or said things to you that have wounded you deeply. Whatever the situation, you were greatly upset. You wanted to see them pay for the hurt that they caused you. Every time you thought of them, your blood pressure skyrocketed. Every time you saw them, you looked the other way or you turned and walked the other way. To be blunt, what was once a trusted friend became your number one enemy. Anyone come to mind? Any situation come to mind? But then one day, you were having your quiet time. And you read these words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So you read those words, or maybe you heard those words preached. My question is, do you remember how you responded? Did you hear the word and follow through doing what it says? Or did you find yourself skipping over the verse and ignoring it? Or maybe whispering under your breath, Lord, what you're asking here is impossible. I just can't do this. And then moving on. The reality is more of us do this than we want to admit. We hear Jesus challenging and potentially life-changing words in Scripture. Like the one we just read. But we do not do what it says. Here in the remaining verses of chapter 1, James says, True followers of Christ don't just hear the word. They respond to the truth of God's word in three ways. They respond with humility. They respond with obedience and with compassion. We're going to look at just the first of these today. James says, true followers of Christ respond to the truth of God's word with humility. In verse 19, he says, true followers of Christ are quick to listen to God's word. They're open to receive what God wants to say to them through the scriptures. They, they don't skip over Bible passages or sermons that make them feel uncomfortable. Furthermore, James says they're slow to speak. They don't 
you know, get together with others and then try to explain away the truth with rationalizations like, oh, that's not what Jesus meant, or that doesn't apply to today. And then thirdly, James says, true followers of Christ, they're slow to become angry. They don't get their back up and stop listening to God's word. The reality is we don't hear much of God's truth when we're angry. I'm sure that uh, those of you who are couples here today, you had a wonderful uh, time driving to our service today. Everything went smoothly. The kids were in the back saying, we love you. Life is good. This is the best family in the world. Everything really well. Good. That's great. That's what we always hope for. But if you had a fight with your spouse on your way to church today, or you had someone phone you or walk up to you and say something really hurtful to you before you walked into this place, or you're angry for some other reason, I can predict with a high degree of certainty that your mind is somewhere else right now. You aren't dialing in to what I'm talking about at all. And that is because anger keeps us from really hearing and receiving God's word in our lives. Which explains why James gives focused attention to it in the verses that we just read together. Now to be clear, anger is a human emotion. And in and of itself is not wrong or a sin. It's what we do with that anger, how we express that anger, the motivation that's behind the way we express our anger, where the problem lies. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Sinful anger erupts out of self-interest. We're often angry because we've been ignored or we've been wronged or we weren't included or our pride's been hurt. Sinful anger is when we hold on to our anger, when we nurse it, when we keep it warm. And then when we infect others with our anger and tempt them to get angry as well. Jesus got angry, but he did not sin. His anger was a righteous anger because his anger was not self-centered. He didn't get angry because his disciples deserted him. Nowhere do we read that he sat down with disciples and said, I'm just really mad at you for deserting me. We don't see any evidence of him being angry as his enemies beat him to a pulp nailed him to a tree. No, he forgave them. He asked his father to forgive them. The only time that he was angry was when God's holiness was being defiled or when poor people were being exploited. You see, a righteous anger, unlike a sinful anger, has God's interest at heart, has God's kingdom in mind, not our kingdom or our agenda. Florence Nightingale was angry over um, the inadequate hospital care in her day. And she expressed her anger by doing something about it. 
Her anger was not self-serving. It it was to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the same way, William Wilberforce expressed anger against the slave trade. And again, he expressed that anger by doing something about it. You know, sometimes people feel justified to gossip and to tarnish someone's reputation because they think that their anger is a righteous anger. But it rarely is. I mean, if we really want to know whether our anger is a righteous anger, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. And one of them is, do I honestly believe that the God who knows my heart, that he is pleased with what I'm doing with my anger right now? Is what I'm doing with my anger right now, does it line up with the scriptures? Another question is, is my anger completely devoid of self-interest? Or is my anger driven by some other agenda like hurt or a desire to make someone pay? Because if there is, then my anger is not a righteous anger, it's a sinful anger. Someone asked me, well, what about if my anger is directed at someone who broke the law? Or who did something the Bible clearly says is wrong? How do I deal with my anger in that situation? Well, very briefly, you need to separate the two issues. The one issue is what this person did, the wrong this person did. The other is what you're going to do with the anger you feel toward them. In terms of what they did, if what they did was clearly wrong, if they broke the law, they should be held accountable for their actions. But then there's the anger that you're feeling toward them. You see, Christ wants you, he wants us all to be free. He wants you to be free from that anger. And the only way that you're going to be free is to choose to forgive them. Not for the wrong that they've committed, but from you being their ongoing judge. Did you get that? You're taking off your judicial robe. And you're saying, I'm not going to continue to harbor bitterness toward you. Instead, I'm going to extend the grace to you that God extended to me by letting go and leaving it with God. We need to be free from that anger Because as long as we're hooked to it, it's actually going to destroy us. In verse 20, James says, Everyone should be slow to become angry because human anger, in other words, that sinful anger, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, James is saying when we have a slow burning anger seething inside of us, when we're carrying a grudge or resentment and bitterness, We are not reflecting the Spirit of Christ, our Lord. We're not reflecting the new kingdom that He came to bring. We're actually reflecting the old kingdom, the kingdom of this world. A world that's just seething with anger everywhere you go. Teachers tell me about parents that are just angry 
You know, people that have retail shops tell me about customers that are just angry. Everyone, you know, get on the highway or get on the roads, the freeways, anywhere. You see anger everywhere. But this is not what our Lord wants for those who are part of his kingdom. Sinful anger carries a huge price tag. For starters, it can rob us of health. Some time ago, I heard a pastor tell the story of a woman who was going through a horrendous divorce. And during the proceedings, she began to grow blind in one eye. She went to numerous medical specialists, but they couldn't find anything wrong. And finally, when she came to the end of her resources, she decided to try God and try the church. And she showed up to this pastor's church. And after the service, she met with him and admitted that she was very bitter toward her husband. And with his guidance, she confessed her bitterness, her resentment, and asked God just to cleanse her from all unrighteousness and to fill her with his love. And the pastor said after she prayed that prayer, she got up, she thanked him, she walked outside, and she hadn't even reached her car, and her total eyesight returned. Folks, we have no idea what we're doing to our health when we hold on to anger, hurt, a grudge, resentment. Sinful anger poisons our attitudes, causes us to become irritable and bitter and cynical and mean-spirited, which can only hurt the people around us, but can actually also cause others who see these destructive qualities displayed in our lives want nothing to do with this Jesus that we say we know and love. Sinful anger can ultimately result in us being isolated and alone because people just don't want to be around us. They just don't want to become like us. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered. Proverbs 29.22 says, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Sinful anger poisons the thinking. That's what this verse is saying. It poisons the thinking of those in our sphere of influence, including our family, our children, our friends. We're actually, and please hear me on this, we are actually tempting them to become angry and to sin as well. I mean, sometimes a father is oblivious to the fact that his resentment towards someone has infected and has been passed on to his children, perhaps even his grandchildren. And how tragic that is. Nothing good ever comes from sinful anger. So how do we avoid sinful anger? Well, first of all, James says, be quick to listen. Spend time alone with the Lord. Share your heart and your pain with him. Open the Bible. Ask him to show you how he wants you to deal with your anger. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is patient 
has great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And this passage, one of the things that this passage is getting at is that one of the keys to not sinning in our anger is to grow in our understanding. Being quick to listen means you want the Lord to help you to understand yourself and what's behind your anger. Is it pride? Is it the need to get even? Is it to make that person pay? Is it disappointment? Because the life you're living isn't turning out the way that you dreamed it would? See, a lot of times our anger is associated with fear. So is it the fear of letting go? Trusting God with your life, your family, and your future? Rather than trying to control it. Is it fear of letting someone down? Of losing what you have or losing someone you love? Being quick to listen also means you're willing to try to understand not only yourself and what's behind your anger, but also the person that you're angry with and their point of view. I mean, can you recall a time when someone was really upset with you? And I know guys, you know, you're, you, us guys find it more difficult to think of these times. I don't know why, but we just do. So just to help you guys, you know, just think of the last time that you and... Um, your girlfriend or you and your wife um, had a little tiff, okay? That, that, that will remind you. It, you'll, you'll be on track here. You'll dial in, okay? So, so recall a time that someone, <clears throat> won't say who, <clears throat> someone was upset with you. And you thought to yourself, you know, if they were aware of the whole story, if they, if they saw this whole thing from my perspective, they wouldn't be upset or at least not as upset. But you see, sadly, their mind is made up. Remember how frustrating it was when they refused to talk to you? To hear your perspective? Well, that's what the writer of Proverbs is getting at. The more understanding you have, the more understanding you will be. The more you understand your children, the more you understand your spouse and your spouse's perspective, the more understanding you will be. In the same way, the more you understand the person that you're angry with and their point of view, the more understanding you will be, the more compassionate you will be. Ask yourself, is it possible that my anger is based on false or incomplete or distorted information? Have I taken the time to get the other person's perspective? That's what it means to be quick to listen. The question is, will we be quick to listen to God's word and do what it says, or will we say, no, I'm not doing it God's way. I'm doing it my way. The first way to avoid sinful anger is to be quick to listen to God's word, to his whispers. 
A second way to avoid sinful anger is to be slow to speak. This is a reminder to get our mind in gear before we put our mouth in motion. It is a reminder to take the time, as we just talked about, to be quick to listen to God first, to make sure that our attitude and our, and our information and our heart motivation is right before we say something or before we email something or tweet something. It's also a reminder to consider the consequences of sharing our anger with other people who are not part of the problem. Proverbs 29.22 says, An angry person stirs up conflict. And what he's saying is, please don't go around pouring out all of your anger all over others and get a bunch of other people upset and angry along with you. The reality is critical tongues have broken and torn apart homes and hearts and marriages and friendships. They have torn apart small groups. They've torn apart churches. Many of you know I grew up in a broken home, a home filled with conflict. And I witness firsthand on a fairly regular basis the relational and the emotional carnage that comes when anger is out of control. And extremely hurtful things are said in a fit of rage. I also grew up in a church where at certain board meetings and certain congregational meetings, incredibly hurtful things were said by people. And I'm just a young guy, but by, they're said by people that I looked up to. And I could not believe what was coming out of their mouth, the mean-spiritedness of the things that were coming out of their mouth. It broke my heart and explains why I, I, I do not like conflict and why I am slow to speak when I'm in a conflict situation. Because in my sadness and hurt and disappointment, as I'm processing it all, I do not want to open my mouth and say something that will only cause even greater hurt and pain. I've learned that the hard way down through the years. And so when I've received a hurtful email or, or someone has said something hurtful to me, in a church of seven, eight, nine thousand people, that happens quite often. If the hurt is great, one of the things I do is I sit down at my computer with the Lord and I write a letter to God about how I'm feeling. I always make sure I haven't put the person's email address at the top, <laughs> just in case I accidentally hit send, you know, just a piece of advice. But I'll write a letter to God about how I'm feeling. I'll often write what I would say to the person or will say to the person when I talk to them. And then after doing so, I'll close my computer. I'll leave it for a while. And then I'll go back to it and just read what I've written. And I'm always amazed at how God begins to chip away at my anger. begins to chip away 
my pride, my attitude, my feelings of hurt. And how he brings me to that place of trying to see things from the other person's perspective, trying to understand what's behind, you know, the, the harsh words that they just threw at me or, or, or whatever. Like, what's going on in their life? And even though I don't like it much, you know, he lovingly begins to point out my own selfishness, my own stinking thinking, my own defensiveness, where I need to take ownership for things. And inevitably, my anger begins to subside and God's peace begins to take its place. I don't know what works for you, but whatever you do, James says, be slow to speak. Give thought in prayer to the issue before you respond in person or pass on your anger and your hurt to other people. In fact, look down at verse 26. James says, those who consider themselves religious, in other words, those who consider themselves to be spiritually mature, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. He's saying, how well we control our tongues is a good barometer of our spiritual maturity. A third way to avoid sinful anger is to repent. Now, to repent means to change your mind and go the other way. Look at verse 21, James writes, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. In other words, that's what repentance is. Get rid of it. And turn around and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That's referring not to um, so much to being saved uh, for eternity. It's referring to being saved from your own anger. The destructive consequences of your anger. So what he's saying here is the way to deal with your anger is not to avoid it, it's not to push it down, to try to, ma to manage it, but it is to repent of it. As you humbly read and reflect on and receive the truth of God's word and you take it in, you're going to notice that there is a gap. There's a gap between what you're feeling and what you want to do with your anger and what God says you should do with your anger. To repent means you're saying, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. You're right, I'm not. And so I'm going to change my mind. I'm not going to do what I would like to do. But because I am surrendered and submitted to you, I am going to do this your way. Because I trust you. Ephesians 4.31, the Apostle Paul vividly describes that what true repentance looks like. He says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. James says here, get rid of the filth. That's what this is referring to. Get rid of it. Anything that's separating you from God, get rid of it. 
And instead, put this on. The first part is take this off. The second part is put this on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So here's the question. (laughs) Same old question. Are we prepared to do what the word of truth says? Or will our response be, nope. I'm going to be the Lord of my life and I'm going to do it my way. Because when we ignore stuff like this, folks, that is exactly what we're saying. A fourth way to avoid sinful anger is to go and be reconciled. Matthew 5.23, Jesus taught, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying here is, is that if you've got a major issue with someone you, and you come to a place like this to worship, you're not going to worship much, if at all. And so what he's saying is, don't let your anger fester. Don't, let, uh, don't keep putting it off. He said, no, pray about it. Submit it to God and then go and seek to be reconciled with the person that you're angry with. Go humbly. Go prayerfully. Go with the utmost of sensitivity. Go with the intent of restoring the relationship, not hammering the other person into the ground with condemnation. Don't go determined to prove that they're, they're wrong and that you're right. Be as calm as you can be. Don't attack. Just explain why you are hurt. Take responsibility for your own actions and be ready to listen. Remember, the reason you're doing this is to be reconciled. It is to extend grace. Even though everything inside of you says, they don't deserve this. But you see, that's what grace is. It's undeserved. And you're extending it. The same grace that you have received from our Lord. That is what separates Christianity from every other religion on this planet. The gospel of grace. And so remember, the reason you're doing this is to be freed from your anger toward that person, to be freed from that selfish desire to make them pay. But instead, to be free to look them in the eye, to believe the best about them and speak well of them. Or if you can't do that, to just not say anything negative at all. To be free to encourage them and celebrate God's goodness with them. To be free to pray for them and to to pray with them. To be free to link arms with them again. And carry out the mission that Christ has called us to. Of course, assuming that they're open to that at all. Because you see, if they don't want to reconcile, if if they mock you, if, if, if they tell you where to go, well, friends, that's the decision they make. Don't you be concerned about that. What matters is you have been obedient to your Lord and now you are free indeed.
And then finally, avoid sinful anger by surrounding, surrendering your pride to God. You know, the reason there is so much anger and relational conflict in the world is because there is too much pride going on in our hearts. We're still too much in love with ourselves, wanting our own way. You know, you turn over to James chapter 4. He put it this way, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The word desires is the same Greek word from which we get the word hedonism. And hedonism means to have this strong desire to satisfy myself. It's all about me and my happiness. It's really what we talked about last week. It goes all the way back to the garden. When Satan casts doubt in the minds of our first parents, Adam and Eve, about the goodness of God and tempted them with the prospect of being their own God, with running their own show, with being the center of their own universe. You see, before that, Adam and Eve had one ultimate desire, and that was to love and to live for God. After they rebelled against God, their desire changed. After the fall, their desire and the desire of everyone since then in the human race has been to be our own God, to be at the center of our own universe, to decide ourselves what's right and wrong. In other words, to read the scriptures and say, I'm just not going to do that. It doesn't apply to me. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And one of the fallouts of this is we, we look to our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our friends, our children, the people that are in our network of relationships. We look at all these people to meet our needs and our wants, to make our life happy and fulfilling. And when they don't come through for us, guess what? We get angry. We want our will to be done. We want our life to go the way we want it to go. We've got it all mapped out. And when it doesn't go the way we want it to go, we get angry. And yet God never intended for the world to revolve around us. Life isn't about us. It might depress you, but it isn't about us. It's about God. He's the center of the universe. And until he's the center of our lives and we trust him and believe him and surrender to him, we will never be free from all of the striving that we do, from all the emptiness that we feel, from the subtle and not so subtle competing that goes on between us as human beings, and all of the anger and the envy and the relational conflict that goes with it. James 4, 6. Look at what James says. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. He gives grace to the humble. And then he says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Put him at the center of your universe. 
Humble yourselves to the Lord and he will lift you up. James essentially says, you don't have the power in yourself to find victory against anger. So submit your life to Christ. Trust him. He will live his life through you and help you to be all that he created you to be. You see, when we realize that God is God and we're not, that we are perfectly loved by him, our creator, we're free to think about others rather than ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves anymore to anyone. We don't have to compare. We don't have to compete and win. Yeah, my life is so much better than their life. Yay, we win. We don't have to play that game anymore to reinforce our feelings of self-worth. Our worth is no longer dependent on what we can do or on what we have or how wonderful our life and our family is or how successful or admired we are. No, our worth, our identity is based on who we are in Jesus Christ, our creator God. Our soul, our life is full and overflowing with true joy, peace, and love because we are the children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah, praise his name. And folks, this truth produces a godly peace and security within. It frees us to open up our hearts and our hands to other people. And you know, when we begin to understand the abuse and the scorn and the indignities that Jesus suffered on the cross out of love for us. We are increasingly impelled to extend His grace and His forgiveness to others, to the friend who hurt us, to the spouse who betrayed us, to the pastor who failed us, to the child who disobeyed us, to the parent who hurt and disappointed us. I mean, if God extended such amazing grace and forgiveness to us on the cross, how could we not extend the same grace and forgiveness to others? But here's the thing. Here's a litmus test, folks, of who's really on the throne, who's really at the center of your universe. Because if we can't forgive, if we continue seething in anger and resentment and bitterness, hold a grudge against someone, it is a clear indication that it is us, it is not Jesus, but it's us who are at the center of our universe. And folks, that means we have yet to fully surrender to God. Because we're picking and choosing what we're going to do and not do. And folks, until we do, we will never know or experience the personal and the relational joy and peace and deep inner satisfaction and fulfillment in life that God wants to gift us with.
So let's close. Would you just stand with me, please? You know, church, one of the reasons that I just celebrate being a Christian is because there is no miracle, there is no gospel like the miracle of grace and forgiveness. I don't believe there's a person in this place, regardless of how tough, how callous you may be on the outside, who deep down inside doesn't long to be loved and accepted and who doesn't long to forgive and to be forgiven. But it won't happen until we're prepared to put our trust fully in our Lord and break the cycle of ungrace that defines our world and sometimes defines our Christian relationships, to break that cycle of ungrace by extending the grace and forgiveness that we ourselves have received from our Lord. And so we have a choice to make. We can coddle our hurt until it turns to hate and to rage and destroys us from the inside out and people around us as well. Or we can put our trust in God and submit totally to Him and do what His Word says, and that is to forgive even as we have been forgiven. And when we do, we will be set free. We will be set free and the kingdom of God will come to earth as it is in heaven. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So let's... So let's just open up our hands before the Lord right now. Lord, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to me? And Lord, what's one thing that you want me to do about it right now. And while you reflect on that, I just want to say one more thing. You know, um, some of the hurt you're feelings, some of the anger, some of the bitterness that is there because of the great hurt you've gone through. And for some of you, that may have been years. I'd like you to liken it to a backpack. And you've been lugging that thing around for so long. And Jesus just wants you to give it to him. Some of you, the backpack you've been lugging around is one of disappointment. You, you have this dream of the way life should go. And it's not going that way. And you're angry. And maybe you're fearful about what the future holds. That backpack is just weighing you down because you're trying to please other people. Or maybe it's just a sense of, you know, life just hasn't turned out the way you hoped it would. And you're frustrated. Whatever's in your backpack, Jesus says, you know, can you trust me? Can, can can you just let this go? And can we just do life together going forward? And can you trust me that what I have for you is the absolute best thing? 
that I am not your enemy, I am your friend. And so I just want to give you the opportunity, anyone here, to, to slip out of your seat and bring that backpack down here and leave it at the foot of the cross. And when you get up and you turn around, you just leave it there at the cross and walk out of here free in Jesus' name because that's what he wants for you. So as we're now asking those questions, I want to invite you, anyone, to come down here with your backpacks and let them go. I'm going to ask our prayer partners if you'd make your way up here right now too. If any of you would like someone to pray with you, just, just stay here. Otherwise, just pray for a while and then get up and walk and be freed. Let's just respond to the Lord right now. Take this with you this week. Think about those two questions. Lord, what do you say to me? What do I need to do about it? And when he brings things to your mind, you have a choice to make. I trust that you will choose Jesus every time and his way. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.